Father, thank you that in your grace, your kindness, your wisdom, your eternal sovereign plan, and in your mercy, you've blessed us to be in this room today. Thank you that we get to be where those who love the Lord Jesus lift their voices and give him praise. Thank you for the word of God that we've already read and now we read again, and we're going to seek to understand it and get profit for our souls. So we ask that you'll pour out the Holy Spirit upon us, the Holy Spirit of redemption, the Holy Spirit of illumination. May the Holy Spirit give us light from your word so that we may know the will of God, your will, your way, your truth, your purposes on this very important subject. We pray that you will help those who are far from the Lord Jesus to draw near to him, to bow the knee and confess that Jesus is now my Lord to the glory of God the Father. Help all your people to delight themselves in you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let me start with something that would be important to say, and that is, I am aware of the fact, we're all aware of the fact, that this topic will be hard for some of you. So I want to take a moment and speak to that and tell you we're sympathetic. I am. We are as a church. We understand this could be a, a difficult message for you to navigate. Um, we don't want to pull it back because of that. We want you to hear it, but but we, we understand it could be hard. Hard for two groups in particular. There are other groups. I'm not going to try and cover them all. They all fit under one of these two pretty much, I think. Some of you may be believers in the Lord Jesus. He's your God and your Savior. You're followers of the Lamb. You're his disciples. He purchased you with his own blood. You delight in him. But in your past, you walked to the way of abortion. This message might be hard for you. But what I want to say to you is this. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have passed away, old things, and all things have become new. God now sees you in Christ holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. He has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. Am I pointing east and west? I don't know. <laughs> he has buried them in the depths of the sea. They are no more. Your slate is clean. This will still probably give you some hard, some difficult feelings, some reminders and all that. But here's what you do. You just go straight back to the cross of Jesus Christ and remember the redemption that you have through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus and give thanks for it and pray for those in our midst who need to, need to find Christ and redemption. So that's one group. The other group, some of you are, are perhaps not believers in Jesus Christ. And in your past, you walked the way of abortion. And this might be a very hard sermon for you. Um, what, you might, what you might feel is what Jesus refers to in the Bible, or piecing in two few passages together, what theologians refer to as Holy Spirit conviction. In other words, that's your conscience acting and God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, acting along with your conscience and making you feel bad about things that you've done that were wrong, that violated God's law. So the first group, you get the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the second group, you get the conviction of the Holy Spirit, uh, and it might make you feel bad. But here's what I want to say to you. Please don't stop at feeling bad. Uh, God's law, which can make you feel bad, you realize, oh, I've broken God's law, is, is a tutor to lead you to Christ. Let it take you to Christ. Do the same thing the first group has to do. Go to the cross. Go to the Lord Jesus. Go to the shed blood. Go to redemption. Go to a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. Call upon the name of the Lord. Have your conscience cleansed 
and your heart changed. So that's what I want to say to anybody who has trouble with this message. Go to Christ. Go to the cross. And if you will do that, if you can do that, you can find the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and you can find the peace that passes understanding for your soul. There is a, found, there is a fountain open for sin and uncleanness, Zechariah 13.1. Just go to that fountain. Now, a little bit of context. What are we talking about? We're talking about abortion. I don't know if you knew this, but abortion is the leading cause of death in the world. Not heart attacks, not strokes, not cancer, not anything else. More people die in the womb, which should be the safest place on the planet. More people die in the womb of unnatural causes than, in, than anywhere else. They die of violence, a violent death in the womb more than anyone else. The World Health Organization informs us that about 40 to 50 million abortions are performed worldwide each year, which they say works out to be about 125,000 abortions every single day. That's just staggering. It's horrifying. 125,000 abortions every single day. There have been more than one and a half billion, 1.5 billion since 1973. In America, there have been 63 million since 1973. One and a half billion. To give that number some perspective. So are you terrified by the Holocaust, Nazi Germany, what they did in the death camps to the Jewish people? You find that absolutely horrific and terrifying. That was, I'm not making this small, but that was six million Jewish people. That's horrific. We're not talking about 1.5 billion babies in the womb. This is a global ongoing Holocaust. And what our Supreme Court just ruled helps, but it certainly doesn't conclude the matter. There's much more to be done. There's still going to be lots of killing. And here's my objective for you all today. In this assembly, I want to convince you if you're not already convinced. I want to solidify you more if you're already solid in this. Point number one, would you put it up, please, slide, ma'am? In the Bible, God teaches that the fetus is a human being and that its life begins at conception. In other words, it is a human being from the moment it's conceived. I want you to be absolutely convinced of that so you won't get wobbly when people have arguments, so you won't be shaken by other philosophies. No, rather, I want the Word of God, I want Jesus Christ to take your thoughts and your heart captive to obedience to Christ. And I'm asking you to be like the noble Bereans in Acts chapter 17, who studied the Scriptures. We're going to do a lot of that today. Who studied the Scriptures to see whether these things be so. I want you to go to the Word of God. I want you to do what Isaiah says, and I think it's Isaiah 8 and maybe verse 20, where he says, to the law and to the testimony. That's where we go. For if they do not speak according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. So we want to go to the law. We want to go to the Word. We want to be like Bereans, and we want to find from God's Word, and we're going to. We're going to see it plainly and clearly from passage after passage after passage that in the Bible, God teaches that the fetus is a human being and that his life begins at conception. Let's go to Exodus chapter 21. Now, in Exodus chapter 21, we have, we're looking at a piece of 
Old time Israel case law. Now here's how case law works. There would be a case and laws established based on the case, but the law is a principle that applies to all kinds of other similar cases. So this is very directly, you'll see, very directly applicable to the idea of abortion. Exodus 21, 22. When men strive together, two guys get in a fight, and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm. Everybody's fine. The woman's fine. The kids are fine. The one who hit her shall surely be fined. Why is he being fined for that? You should have been more careful. You're going to get in a fight with a guy? Get away from the woman. Don't be near the woman with, with the big belly, all right? Be more careful. You're, you're fined for your carelessness. But it's just a fine because there was no lasting harm. And the fine is, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But... If there is harm to the woman or to the babies, and specifically to the babies, then you shall pay, and there's a gradation depending on the harm, you shall pay life for a life. It's a capital crime. There's a death penalty attached to if the baby dies, the woman dies, if both die. Or eye for eye. I don't know, mean, I don't know that that literally means poke out the guy's eye. It might be an eye level of penalty, tooth for tooth. That might mean knockout of tooth. I don't know. Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, don't escalate it beyond the degree of the crime, but don't under penalize the person either. And he says very clearly, if, if, the, if the baby dies or the babies die, that's a death penalty. You get the picture. What are we seeing? The Bible teaches us that life begins at conception in the womb and that killing a baby is a capital offense. Let's see this from Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Jeremiah is one of the Old Testament prophets, and God is speaking here to Jeremiah. And he says to Jeremiah, and he could say this to you and to me just as well, before I formed you in the womb. Now, I want you to notice the personal pronouns. You is a personal pronoun. God is saying, the thing that was in the womb, that was you. And I formed you when you were in the womb. It wasn't fetal tissue. It wasn't pregnancy matter. It wasn't part of the woman's body. I'm so tired of hearing that lie, that deception. It wasn't part of her body. God says to Jeremiah, it was you that was in the womb, and I formed you in there. And before I formed you, I knew you. God in his omniscience, God in his eternal purposes. Before you were born, I set you apart. So he was in the womb, he wasn't born yet. And God said, that's Jeremiah. I'm setting him apart for the ministry he will have. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So we're gonna note the personal pronouns like we did here in a whole lot of these passages. Now, let me just step back a second and somebody might say, because people are saying. So you might hear, so I wanna try and answer this for you. Somebody might say, all right, God said I made Jeremiah in the womb, but it might be that he made something and it wasn't really Jeremiah until it popped out. And now God's speaking to Jeremiah and saying, I made you back in the womb, but you weren't Jeremiah then. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you were Jeremiah in the womb. You say, well, what if I don't quite see that? What if I don't agree with that? Well, then I wanna give you a little story and I get this from my favorite living theologian, his name is John Frame. It's in his book, The Doctrine of the Christian Life. And he's dealing with this issue. And he says, all right, suppose you and I go hunting. I'll make it me and you. Suppose we go hunting. We're hunting deer. We're not getting any deer. So we decide you go that way and I'll go this way. So we part. And then I hear some rustling in the bushes. 
but I can't quite see. Is it a deer or could it be you? It could be a human life, but I'm not sure. Then what do you do? Well, you don't shoot, right? Because it might be you. So if, you have, if there's any possibility that it might actually be a human life, if for you, there's any possibility. For me, there's every, every assurance. But if for you, it's just, all right, there's a possibility. Jeremiah was Jeremiah in the womb. Then you don't shoot him. Then you don't abort him. Then you don't kill him. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is in a bad spot. God called him to be a prophet and to prophesy against his people Israel. He had to prophesy that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming in the form of Babylon and a 70-year Babylonian captivity. Well, the elites didn't want to hear his message, so they beat him and they put him in stocks. He was later released, and here's what he said. He's having a gloomy, bad day. Jeremiah 20, starting at verse 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born. The day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, note this, because he did not kill me, notice the personal pronouns, because he did not kill me in the womb. It was me, Jeremiah is saying, it was me in the womb. So, get this, this is powerful. So my mother would have been my grave. If I had died in the womb, it was me, and I would have been in the grave, and the grave would have been my mother's womb. Jeremiah is saying, if, 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 if instead they'd killed me, why? I wish they had killed me in the womb. I would have gone to a grave in my mother. Her womb would be forever great. Why, why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? He's having a bad time, but he talks about in the womb. I want to look at it again. The man's cursed because I wish he'd killed me in the womb. It was me. My mother would have been my grave. It was me, my grave. I was in her womb. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception in the womb. Or let's go to Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. I'll just start reading. David, the psalmist, says to God, For you formed my inward parts. You think it's just like some natural process that formed you? No, God is a hands-on deity. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. When you're being baked in the oven, it's God baking you in the oven. It's God forming you. He formed your liver. He formed your gizzards. He formed your heart. He formed your brain. He formed all of your inward parts. He formed your lungs. He formed everything that's inside. You knitted me together. Knowing what we know now about the human brain, that's, a, that's an apt thing. All the wires in there all knitted. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. It was me that you knitted. Those were my inward parts, personal pronouns. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb. Wonderful are your works when you knit me in the womb. That's wonderful. It's amazing what you did there. It's incredible. It's not, well, that's just part of the woman's body and she can cut it off if she wants. No, no, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well, my frame. Now we're going beyond the inward parts, like the gizzards, and we're going to his, his muscular and skeletal structure. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made by you in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, metaphor for his mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Your eyes, I want to look at that phrase again. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. 
Now, I want to help you to understand something about human development, and maybe you've never thought about it this way. So when a baby is born, when it comes out of the womb, that is a very underdeveloped specimen of a human being, but it is a human being. It just has a lot of developing to do yet in a lot of ways. Guys, you'll know our brains don't fully develop till we're, what is it, 27 or something? Like your wife's brain developed when she was three. That's how much more developed our brains are. Ha ha ha. But, but we know we, we develop a lot outside the womb, but we also develop a lot inside the womb. We develop from a one-cell little guy, zygote into a thing that just looks just like a full-grown human baby when it comes out. We, so it's you in the womb developing, and it's you outside of the womb developing, but both are you. It's just as much you developing in the womb as out. Well, why do I come out of the womb at nine months then? Well, because if you stayed in there longer, we'd never get you out. That's the truth. So God put a clock, he put a timer on the thing, and at nine months, the body spits you out. But it's just the same you, you were developing, you're still developing. That's what this Psalm or this, uh, this uh, Jeremiah's comments talk about. Um, no, I'm in the Psalm, that's right when I was being made in secret. That was me, intricately woven in the depths of my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed. That was me, unformed, but it was me being formed, being developed. It was me. The Bible teaches that life begins in the womb at conception. All right, let's go to another passage, Judges 13. This is an angel talking to the mother of Samson. Remember Samson? Pretty famous guy in the Bible. You've heard of him. This is Samson's mother, and an angel is talking to her. Judges 13, 3. And the angel of the Lord, who is, by the way, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children. She's had that challenging life situation. But you shall conceive and bear a son. But hers is not going to be a virgin conception or a virgin birth. Hers is going to be an ordinary, by human means, conception and birth, but you shall conceive and then bear a son. Therefore be, now this is odd. God doesn't say this to any other mother on the planet ever, but he says it to Samson's mother. Therefore be careful and drink no wine. Why? Because he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be of that special order of Israelites who is a Nazarite consecrated to God, and they have to live in certain ways, and they're never to drink wine. And so since this is going to be Samson in the womb of his mother, God says, let's start treating him like what he is right now. You don't drink wine because you got a Nazarite in your belly. Don't drink any wine or strong drink. Eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. That's after he comes out, of course, because that's a Nazarite thing. For the child shall be called a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So while Samson's in the womb, he's Samson. While Samson's in the womb, he's already a Nazarite. His mother's supposed to start treating him like Samson the Nazarite. I want you to keep him pure. I want you to keep him holy. I don't want you to have wine that would go into his bloodstream. I don't want you to have unclean food that would go into his provision. No, he's a Nazarite while he's in the womb. Pretty interesting. And all of this applies from his conception. God doesn't say, when he gets to the first trimester, do this. 
When he gets to the second trimester, the rules change. Now, a human is a human, and the rules apply clean through. Let's go to Psalm 51, back to King David, King David of Israel. David has sinned grievously. He took another man's wife, the beautiful Bathsheba, and lay with her. And then to cover up the deal, he had her husband, the noble soldier Uriah, put up in the heat of battle and cut down by enemy weapons. And he's finally, he's come to a point where he's repentant. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is working, and he's going to the cross here. Um, And here's what he says. He's wrestling with, how could I have done that? How could I have committed adultery with her? How could I have had her her husband killed in battle? And here's his explanation, and it goes to his birth and his conception. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In other words, I had a sin nature communicated from my great-granddaddy Adam right down to me, and from the time I was brought forth, I had that. This explains how I could have done it. And, note this, in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, that does not mean that his mother was an adulteress. That doesn't mean that his mother was a fornicator. She was not. What he's saying is that by nature, I'm iniquitous, and by nature, I'm a sinner. When my mother conceived me, I, it was David, was a sinner. From the moment of my conception and all through the womb, it was me, a little baby sinner being baked in the oven. David refers to his unborn conceived self as a person. He refers to his unborn self also as a sinner, not part of the mother's body, not fetal tissue, not pregnancy matter, a person. David traces his sin back to his very conception. Ah, here's why I could do it. I was a sinner. I was fallen from the moment I was conceived. That's how come I was able to do such a horrific thing. Let's go to the New Testament. I want you to be absolutely solid, cornerstone people. Don't want you to wobble around. I want you to have it certain in your soul that my book, the Bible, the Bible that I go to, teaches me that life begins at conception in the womb. I want you to stand on that. Let's go to the New Testament, Luke chapter 1. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the occasion that's commonly called the Annunciation. An angel comes to her and announces, you're going to have a son. So the angel tells her, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And she says, "Uh, how can this be since I have not known a man? She understood the birds and the bees. She knew how this normally works. She knew that hadn't happened in her case. What on earth are you talking about? How can it be? And here's how the angel answered her. The angel answered her. Here's how it'll be. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The third person of the Holy Trinity will do this. It will be a Holy Spirit caused conception. He will come upon you, and the power of the Most High, God's power, will overshadow you. Just imagine a big cloud coming in and overshadowing her, and it's God's power producing a baby in her womb. And therefore, the child to be born, the one to be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is a virgin conception as well as a, nine months later, virgin birth. Jesus was conceived as Jesus by the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, in Mary's womb. Now this part 
might hit some of you kind of hard. I'm not going to pull punches. The devil is a thief. The Bible says the thief comes not but to kill and to steal and to destroy. And if Mary had gotten an abortion, the devil would have loved it. She would have aborted Jesus. The devil tried to stop Jesus in a bunch of other ways. Cast yourself off the building, worship me and all that. Tried to have the politicians kill all the boys, Jesus, but they'd, they'd slip town. If Mary had gotten an abortion, she would have killed the Son of God. We see a similar thing with John the Baptist in the womb and Jesus still in the womb. So Mary has Jesus in her womb, and, and her cousin Elizabeth has John the Baptist in her womb, and they come together, Mary and Elizabeth. And, and here's what Elizabeth says, Luke 1.44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting, hi Elizabeth, how are you? When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's John the Baptist in the womb. Somehow supernaturally made aware of the fact that the Jesus for whom I will be the forerunner, the Jesus to whom I will point, is right over there in that other womb. And he was happy about it and excited about it. He knew that was Jesus, and he was John, and they were both still in the womb. So these and many other passages teach that life begins in the womb at conception. I want you all, Cornerstone Church, I want you to be solid on that. I want you all to stand strong on that. But here's an objection. We're hearing it a lot right now. Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not paying attention to social media. Bless you. But we're hearing this a lot right now. This is really going about. The objection being repeated is this. Doesn't, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible teach that life begins at your first breath? Where do they get that? They get it from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 and the creation of the first man. Here's what we read. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust. God was a sculptor. Took dirt and dust and made a man from the ground and, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And they say, see, there it is. He wasn't a living creature. He wasn't a human being till God breathed the breath of life into him. Well, that's right. But this was a very unique beginning for a human being. Like, he was basically a statue made out of dirt. And then God said, now I'm going to make the statue live. But when you're conceived in the womb, you're not a statue made out of dirt. You're not lifeless. You very much have life in you. I mean, I wish I had this in front of me. I should have had this in front of me. And you, at, at, this, at this week, you open your eyes. At this week, you smile. At this week, you're sucking your thumb. At this week, we can, we can see your fingerprints, and they're not the same as your mother's fingerprints. I wish I had all those weeks, because there's quite a bit of that that you can look at. But you understand, they're not being rational they're not being logical when they go to this. They're grasping at straws. Plus, they're ignoring all the other passages like those we've seen in the Bible that tell us clearly what's in the womb is a baby human being developing, just like what comes out of the womb is a baby human being developing. 
So we've looked at some Bible passages now. Now I want to go on to, next slide please, slide man. Science and medicine also teach that the fetus is a human being and that its life begins at conception. So we want to base our beliefs on the Word of God. Science can change. They can be here at one time. They can be there at another time. So we don't base everything on science. Scientists can be wrong. But in this case, well, guess what? The light of nature, what, what scientists find in their studies of biology and embryology and whatever else, absolutely concurs with whatever we've seen so far in the Word of God. So I'm going to take a little bit of time and do what Paul does, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, does not, the light, does not the light of nature also teach you? So I'm now saying, does not, the light, does not the light of nature also teach you? Science, biology, embryology. So a couple of quotes. This is from five years ago, the year 2017, and from the American College of Pediatricians. By the way, I'm going to give you three quotes. I could multiply these. We could stay all day long and read and read and read. This physician, this scientist, this eminent person, this eminent organization, they all say, they all say, unless they're afraid for their job. Unless they're afraid they're going to get canceled. But they've all said, and until 1973, they all said, and still now, they all, almost all say, but five years ago, the American College of Pediatricians said, we concur with the body of scientific evidence that corroborates that a unique human life starts when the sperm and egg bind to each other in a process of fusion of their respective membranes and a single hybrid cell called a zygote or a one-celled embryo is created. They're saying all the scientific evidence say that is a unique human life that started right there. They go on. Can you bear with some more? They go on. At fertilization, the human being emerges as a whole genetically distinct individual zygote, a living human organism, a member of the species Homo sapiens, needing only the proper environment, first in the womb, then out of the womb, in order to grow and develop. The difference between the individual in its adult stage and in its zygotic stage is one of form, not of nature. This statement, they conclude, focuses on the scientific evidence of when an individual human life begins. Wow. Could multiply and multiply and multiply these. Here's one, Dr. Jerome Lejeune. He's a Frenchman. He's often called the father of modern genetics. He wrote, quote, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or of opinion. The human nature of the human being from conception to old age is not in contention. It is plain experimental evidence. Does not the light of nature also teach you? And it does, and it does, and it does, and it does. We're not just a bunch of wacko, crazy Christians straining to find evidence for something we want in our Bibles. No, our Bibles teach us something very clearly, and just about all the scientists of the planet agree. We could add to that, the baby in the womb from the very beginning has a different DNA than the mother. It got one half from the father and one half from the mother. As it develops, it has a different brain that thinks different thoughts. It, has, it develops its own central nervous system. It feels pain. She does not. She feels pain. It does not. It develops its own fingerprints. They're not the same as hers. Develops its own blood type, which in many cases is not the same as the mother. It develops its own gender, which in half the cases is not the same as the mother. It really, 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 really is not the mother in there. 
It's a separate human being. Now I want to get a little strong, but hang with me. So that to call that, to call the baby part of the woman's body. I mean, don't we hear that over and over and over? To call the baby part of the woman's body is either gross, unbelievable ignorance, or it's just straight up lying. But maybe you've got so used to the lie that you really believe the lie. The Bible talks about that. It says in Romans 1, their foolish hearts were darkened. Again in Romans 1, in their unrighteousness, they suppressed the truth. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.11, they believed the lie. There's a whole lot of that going on when it comes to the subject of the baby in the womb. So here's what I've tried to establish so far. From conception, the thing in the womb is a human being. It's a baby. Now, if you plant your flag right there, that'll answer every other question. That'll determine everything else in your whole position on this matter. Here's what I mean by that. So let's say you're standing on the continental divide and you have two glasses of water and you pour one over here, that's going to the Pacific Ocean. And you pour another one over there, that's going to the Atlantic Ocean. Where you poured it, one inch this way or one inch that way, determines everything else about the trajectory of that glass of water. It's the same thing on this issue of human life. If you establish that the thing in the womb from conception is a human baby, it's going to answer for you every question, every objection, every problem that, that could possibly come up. But if you determine it is not, then it's going to take you in a whole different direction. So put your finger on what we've seen so far. The Bible and the light of nature concur in teaching us it's a baby. Now, what we want to see next is this, number three, slide man. In the Bible, God prohibits murder and prescribes penalties for it. In other words, we're not to kill that human. And if you do kill that human, you should be in trouble. The thing in the womb is a human in early stages of development, and God commands us not to kill humans. Where does he do that? couple classic texts, Exodus 20 and verse 13. Comes out very simply, like which part of this does somebody not understand? <laughs> Sorry to mean to be humorous there. But you shall not murder. And killing that baby is murder. Just as surely as if it got to be three years old and you said, this kid is driving me nuts. It's messing up my life. I'm going to kill it. No, that would be murder. Well, it's just at a little later stage of development. It's murder in the womb, it's murder out of the womb. And Numbers 35, verses 30 and 31 say this, if anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. They might be wrong, they might be biased, they might have issues. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer. If his nephew comes and says, here's a million bucks, don't kill him. No, you don't accept that. There's no ransom. Not for a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. Why that penalty? Genesis 9 answers for us, verses 5 and 6. After the flood, God establishes capital punishment for capital crimes. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, if it kills a human, I will require it. And from a man, if he kills a human, I require it. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. The baby in the womb from conception is a bearer of the image of God. It's not a cat. It's not a dog. 
It's not a flea. It's a human being in infant form bearing the image of God, and that forms the basis for God helping us understand why the death penalty is established. So in the Bible, God gives a death penalty for murder. We could spend some time there exploring what are some of the possible applications. I'm not going to go there. I don't have time, and I don't want to go there anyway. But I want you to think about it. Like, who all's culpable? Evangelicals are divided on that right now. Who all's culpable? All right, think about that. Well, if, if the Bible and the light of nature are both so clear that we're not supposed to murder human babies, and you're, you're even supposed to get in big trouble if you do, why do people want abortion? What are, the, like, what are the reasons that are causing people to want abortion? Well, at the surface level, I want to talk about this for a moment. At the surface level, there's the woman who's pregnant and doesn't want to be. And what causes her to have an abortion? Well, it's given various terms. It's, it's convenience. It's, it's hardship. Um, there's a slide. Sorry, I skipped the slide. Slide man, f- reasons why people want abortions. One, a sinful response to hardship blinds them. Maybe it blinds them. It's like, oh no, I'm pregnant. I don't want this. This is really going to mess with my life. And it will. So they somehow get blinded to the fact that you've got a human being inside of you. That's, that's the girl. But most people who are really pro-abortion are not ever going to have one. By far the majority of people who are shouting pro-abortion are never going to have one, but it's an issue for them. Why? Here's why. Because ideologies drive them, and the ideologies are feminism and cultural Marxism. What do I mean by that? Here's how the feminine ideology, feminism ideology plays into this. Here's the core doctrine of the feminist. We women must have absolute equality of outcomes with those men. There must be equality, not just equality of value or worth or dignity. We certainly ought to have that. But no, that's not enough. We must have equality of outcomes. Now, here's where there's a gross inequality in their mind. This is them speaking. If a couple has sex and somebody conceives, who is it? It's the woman. In this case, they would still define her as a woman, maybe. Didn't mean to make you laugh. I'm just stating the truth here. That's an issue too, isn't it? It's the woman. So the woman has now conceived. What about the man? He hasn't conceived anything. He can walk away. And a whole lot of them do. Most abortions are that circumstance. There's been a thing, and the guy's like, I don't want to be a father and a kid. I'm not ready for that. He's out of there. And she's left. Well, all sympathy to her. That's a, you're in a situation. But here's what they say. So... We need equality of outcome. So if he can walk away, we need to make it so that she can walk away. How do we make it so she can walk away? So we're equal. Oh, I know. She can kill the baby. But we know she wouldn't do that. So we're going to rename it. It's not a baby. It's part of her body. And there's this brainwashing. It's part of your body. It's part of your body. Nobody can tell you what you can do with your body. Brainwashing. It's, it's feminism. It's also cultural Marxism. The view that the real story on the planet is not there's a holy God and fallen people and we must be reconciled. That's not the big thing. It's there are oppressors and there are oppressed. That's, that's the meta-narrative. And one form of oppressor is, is men 
who restrict, or women who restrict abortion from other women. That's oppression. And their religion, with religious zeal, they want to fight off that oppression so that every abortion, I'm not exaggerating, for them becomes a sacred thing. It's a sacrament. It is to be celebrated. It is an offering. It is a sacrifice to the God of non-oppression. It's so important to them. It's an act of worship, worshiping a utopia of non-oppression. Those are the underlying reasons why so many people who will never get an abortion are so into this thing. It's feminism. My sisters in Christ, there are ways in which you ought to have equal rights, sure, but you can't be a feminist. Did I just surprise anybody with that? You you can't say, I'm a feminist. Um, You have problems. Find out what they really believe. Find out who they really are. And you, you can't be a cultural Marxist either. That is not the big story. All right, it's time for some clarifications, implications, and applications. The first is an implication. Based on what we've seen, here we go. We, I'm speaking for us, Cornerstone Church. I know all my fellow pastors here, we agree on this. We seek to protect, we seek protection for and biblical justice for every child in the womb. Here's a great passage on that, Psalm 82, verses verses 3 and 4. Give justice to the weak. Well, who is more weak than a helpless baby in the womb? Who more needs protection? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Many of those who are aborted are fatherless. The father walked away. I don't want anything to do with that. And he's gone. We're to give justice to just those very people. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We rejoice that our Supreme Court just said no to some of the abortions in this nation. That's an implication. Here's a clarification. We recognize but one exception to the no abortion rule, and that is the rather rare occasion of when an abortion is needed to save the mother's life. We approve of that abortion when it's needed to save the mother's life. Now, that is about 1%, 1 in 100 of all abortions are to save the mother's life. The only circumstance, I read about this, the only circumstance I could find that would call for that is there is an ectopic pregnancy. That is, the fertilized egg has lodged itself in the fallopian tube. What's going to happen is disastrous if that baby grows in that tube. The baby's going to die and the mother might die. And so in that case, to save the mother's life, everybody, I've not found one exception, everybody, the staunchest pro-lifers all say, we would approve of it in that circumstance. So we approve of it in that circumstance to save the mother's life. But we're hearing that and hearing that and hearing that. We need it to save the mother's life. That's not the main reason you want it. The main reason you want it is feminism, and the main reason you want it is cultural Marxism, and throwing off oppression is your new religion. So that's a clarification. Here's another clarification. This one might be the hardest point in the whole sermon for some of you. I'm warning you, so get ready. What about rape or incest? Now, I want to say, and I'm sure you would all agree, I can't even imagine anything more horrible 
right? You agree? I mean, just think of that. I don't even want to think of it. It's just horrible as soon as you start thinking about that. What that must do to a woman, her psyche, her life, her everything. We, all, we understand that. If you don't, you need to understand that. That's a horrific, horrific thing. But horrible as that is, the fact of the matter is, keep your finger on it. You dumped your glass on the one side of the divide. Keep your finger on it. What may result sometimes, not that often, frankly, but may, what may result sometimes will be a living human being in a womb. We don't kill it. It's a living human being. You might put it up for adoption later, but you don't kill it. Any more than if you let it grow through your womb and then it came out of the womb and then it's three years old and now it's driving you crazy and you're always remembering, well, I know where that baby came from anywhere. I think I'm going to kill it. No, you don't kill it when it's three because of where it came from. And you don't kill it when it's a month old in the womb because of where it came from. It's human life. And as horrible as that situation is, we're all agreed it's horrible. Two wrongs don't make a right. If you add murder to rape, you've doubled the crimes. So we don't go there, hard as it is. But you have to keep your finger on, is it life in the womb? Next, a clarification. What about in vitro fertilization? This is related, by the way. You'll see why it's related to the abortion issue. We agree with Bible scholars that we trust and respect uh, scholars in biblical ethics that IVF is permissible, but we believe there are limitations, and our elders have talked about this, and we agree on the limitations. We're favorable toward IVF where it does not discard fertilized eggs, where it does not discard human beings. We're also favorable toward it where they do not perform what are called, rather euphemistically, selective reductions. There are so many euphemisms in the culture of death. A selective reduction is where they've implanted a number of fertilized eggs and they've decided, we don't like the look of that one, that one doesn't look so viable or whatever they decided, we don't want four after all. And so they stop the beating of the heart of that one and they stop the beating of the heart of that one. That They call that a selective reduction. We're favorable to IVF. There are some couples in our church employing IVF. We pray they are blessed with sons and daughters and we'll be happy with them but not, not to discard fertilized eggs, not to perform selective reductions. Here's an application. It is time to teach abstinence till marriage. Yeah? Like, how many abortions would there be if people would just wait? If you'd obey God's law that says, don't do that till you've said, I do. And then have babies, be fruitful, multiply, love them. Father, be responsible. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You love and provide and protect for them with all your might. You don't walk away. It's time to teach that. It's time to teach love for children and even large families. I'm not saying you have to have a large family, but where people do, we love it. It's time to teach responsibility of fathers. It's time to keep supporting crisis pregnancy centers. We do. We're going to keep on. Although in Maryland, you know, they're going to keep on aborting babies. 
One final application. Thank God for the free saving grace that is found in Jesus Christ. I remind you, there is a fountain that is open for sin and uncleanness. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for making your word so clear on this matter. We pray for the day when no abortions would be the way of our land and of our world. So may the gospel and the word of God run with power. Would you pour out the Holy Spirit? Would you change hearts and change minds? Would you take every thought captive to obedience to Christ? Father, we want to pray for the people we addressed at the start of this message, for those who may have had to just struggle their way through this. May they flee to Christ. May they go to the cross. May they believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. May they find the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.